I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hi guys, I'm John Weeks from Plant-Based Face-Off, the Instagram page all about trying new plant-based food alternatives. I try, compare and rate the latest food in the vegan world and let you know which is best. I'm talking everything from burgers to cheese to chocolate. Check me out on Insta at Plant-Based Face-Off. Now though, it's time for this week's podcast. Enjoy. This is the Euro Trip. Hello everyone. It has been two weeks, but we are back with a special bonus episode of the Eurotrip. Now, the last time you heard from us, of course, we brought you that feature-length interview with Eurovision icon Petra Merda, which you can still go back and listen to if you haven't already. Of course, the host of two Eurovisions in 2013 and 2016. But today, we've got something entirely different for you, but it is very, very special. So definitely stay tuned. I am Rob, and as ever, of course, I'm joined by my co-host, my colleague, my learned friend, my colleague who has quite a bad cold this week, James Rowe. James. Hi, Rob. Hi, everyone. Yeah, thanks for thanks for seeing my name this time as well, because I think the last time you introduced me, you forced me to say my name, which was a horribly awkward uh, situation. But great to be back. Great to be back with this special episode where I don't think you've said what we're doing yet and I'm now going to throw it back to you to tell everyone what we're doing. Brilliant, excellent piece of delegation. As you will have seen from the title of this week's episode, this is Husevik's Eurovision Fairy Tale and we have teamed up with the brand new Eurovision Museum which is opening very very soon in Husevik in Iceland and we're going to tell you all about it, we're going to tell you what to expect, we're going to take you on a tour of Iceland. Honestly, it's such a good listen, because who'd have thought a couple of years ago, James, I think you say this at some point in the episode, who'd have thought two years ago that a tiny Icelandic town would be home to the world's first Eurovision museum? 
Yeah, it's pretty bonkers. If you had to pick anywhere, Switzerland would be a good place, perhaps Sweden, where they love the Eurovision Song Contest, don't they? But no, Little Old Husevik in Little Old Iceland is home to the world's first Eurovision Museum. Very, very exciting to be chatting about that today. There is so much to explore, so many exciting things to talk about, and we're going to do all that and more. We're going to meet some people who are going to take us through it in just a second. But you're listening on Acast, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This is the Eurotrip. That's right, you are listening to the Eurotrip, the world's favourite Eurovision podcast. And we're here with you this time for a very special bonus episode of the podcast, Husevik's Eurovision Fairy Tale. We're going to take you on a little bit of a journey through Iceland, speak to somebody very special who all Eurovision fans will be a fan of, I am certain of that, and also the man responsible for the world's first... Eurovision Museum, which honestly, Rob, I didn't think I'd ever see. I didn't think we'd ever see a Eurovision Museum. Very, very exciting. And as we said in the introduction, I don't think we ever thought we'd ever see a Eurovision Museum in a tiny Icelandic (laughs) fishing town, which is just absolutely nuts. But of course, it is all to do with Fire Saga, the Eurovision film, which came out last year. It's so good to be teaming up with the Husavik Eurovision Museum because it is going to be a must see. For all Eurovision fans, honestly, you're going to listen to this and I guarantee you, you're going to get to the end and you're going to think, how do you get to Husevik? Well, I think the answer is you book a flight to Reykjavik and then you go from there. But I'm not a travel agent, but we're going to do all sorts of fun stuff throughout the course of this episode. So stay tuned. And of course, we've been away for a couple of weeks, so you may need reminding on how you can get in touch with us. We are at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And we're also on email, hello at Eurotrip Podcast. As James said, we are the world's favourite Eurovision podcast. If you're a new listener, welcome. We'll be back looking ahead for the first time to Eurovision 2022 next week. But for now, as a little mousse-bouche, a little teaser, a little aperitif for what's to come, we asked people on Twitter on Saturday for their favourite Icelandic Eurovision entry of all time, And it's one of those difficult Eurovision questions that we often like to ask guests. We asked you out there, and we got all sorts of different answers, understandably. Yeah, we got so many answers from you guys listening at home. Thanks so much for getting in touch at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter, that is. Uh, We've got some here. Uh, I've got one, first of all, from uh, at Lindita Stan. Gosh, that's a throwback to an artist, isn't that? They were having heard in a while. Uh, They got in touch to say uh, their top three were, congratulations, is it true? and unbroken another one from jack lawson hear them calling is mentioned again is it true is mentioned again and then if i had your love and then uh from a twitter account and i don't know why i chose this tweet because i've got to try and figure out what this username is uh from it's uh swithertlovey right i don't think it is is it but we'll go with that i'm sure if you're listening you know who that is uh it said think about things 10 years and hear them calling. So clearly a very big fan of Daddy Fair. Well, just to add to that, what else have we got here? We've got Jack who said another vote there for Is It True? Uh, their second favourite Icelandic song of all time, uh, Iceland 1994, uh, which I think is called Nature. I don't think it is. I'm going to say it is. <laughs> uh, this Is My Life, their third favourite song. Of course, Euroband in 2008. 2008 was such a good contest. So many anthem songs in that contest. Uh, Seth 
Uh, not Steph, importantly, Seth. Uh, hear them calling, another vote for that song. And then Andrew, if I had your love. Stuart with Iceland 1991 as his favourite song. And that is not the that's not the first time we're going to hear about Iceland 1991. Uh, James, your favourite Icelandic Eurovision entry of all time, please. I don't need much time to think about this. It has to be 2014, Polypunk. Mainly because it's just fun to say. Is that yeah. is that most of that? Pretty much, yeah, but also because those guys looked so cool on stage. They looked like they were having so much fun. And the song as well is just so much fun to sing along to. What more could you ask for? It's a toss-up for me. You've not asked, but, you know, I'm, I'm just assumed that you would have been polite and asked me what my favourite Icelandic Eurovision song was. Uh, my top three, I'd probably have Johanna, uh, Is It True, in third. Uh, I'd probably have Never Forget, 2012. Greta and Yonzi, that was great, wasn't it? I'd probably put that in second place. And then I'm a sucker for a big ballad. So uh, 2010, Hera Bjork, je ne sais quoi. I think what we've established there, actually, because I hadn't really thought about it until now, Iceland is really underrated when it comes to the contest because they've got so many in the back catalogue that you would naturally just put on repeat, wouldn't you? You certainly would. We're still up for hearing your thoughts. Do let us know. We are on Twitter, on Instagram. We're at Eurotrip Podcast. And you can send us that email as well. Hello at EuroTripPodcast.com. This is the Eurotrip. Thanks again for joining us here on the Eurotrip on this special edition of the podcast, Husevik's Eurovision Fairy Tale. Uh, now, a little bit of an oversight from us. We've not actually told you that we've got the one and only Molly Sanden joining us on the podcast uh, in a little while. Of course, she's the Swedish singer who provided her vocals to the Eurovision film released last year. Really, really exciting to be chatting to her on the podcast today. And also, we'll be chatting to somebody with perhaps the greatest name in all of history of names, Ollie Orlison, uh, who is the guy behind the Eurovision exhibition itself. But first, Rob, you said a little earlier on that you are not a travel agent, but somebody who could arguably be called one is somebody we're going to hear from now. She's been taking us on a little bit of a journey through Iceland. That's right. Now, if we had just boarded a plane, this would be approximately the time where they're putting on the safety video, you're making sure that your suitcase isn't (laughs) going to fall out of the overhead locker, and the person in front of you has probably just reclined their seat and you're getting annoyed at them. But we are about to go on this adventure around Iceland as you've already said, we're going to hear from Molly Sandin later. We're going to hear from Ollie Orlison, as you, I think, said, a man with the greatest greatest name in the history of names. But now we are going to meet Rachel. Now, how did we get to know about Rachel? Well, let me take you back to Eurovision Week 2021, of course. You may remember, me and James were a little bit busy. We were here every single day with coverage of the contest. And one of the major stories, if not the big story from Eurovision Week was, of course, unfortunately, Daddy Frere being unable to compete at the contest after those positive COVID cases. And who did we get on? Well, I was after an Icelandic guest to talk about the contest. I went on to social media and I found Rachel. Anyway, it turns out that Rachel has been working on this Eurovision exhibition in Husavik and the rest is history. Now, over the next little while, we're going to hear her in Husavik. She's going to take us on a little tour. She's going to take us to meet some whales. You're not going to hear that on any other Eurovision podcast. You're probably not going to hear that on any other podcast this week, this year, this century. Who knows? Are there any other whale-watching podcasts out there? I don't think so. But first, with the help of some classic Icelandic Eurovision anthems and Rachel, let's find out more about Husavik 
the Eurovision exhibition, and even more than that, by heading to the airport. Hello, my name is Rachel Mackay and I am at Heathrow right now, about to travel to uh, Reykjavik and then tomorrow on to Husavik to visit the Husavik Eurovision Song Contest exhibition. I've been involved with the project since about March and it was a very cheeky ask. <laughs> I just found out about the museum and messaged the the CEO explained that I was the biggest Eurovision geek ever and also the biggest museum geek ever and those things seem to be combining perfectly <laughs> in this project so it was a bit of a dream come true. Since then I've been working with the team remotely and um, working on things like content development for the museum and object sourcing and also I've been doing the Twitter so I live tweet- tweeted, live tweeted, live tweet. <laughs> the um, the uh, Eurovision Song Contest and the semi-finals so that's been really fun but this is the first time that obviously I'm travelling out to Iceland to meet the team and actually to see the museum so I'm super excited especially now that I've actually got through all the administrative hoops that you need to get through on this side of the, um, of the journey it's not easy travelling abroad at the moment but I'm really excited to be now in the departure lounge waiting to take off I've got with me a couple of objects that I am transporting to the museum and I'll tell you more about them later. So I'm in Reykjavik and about to go and explore the city tonight before travelling on to Husavik tomorrow. But I'm just unpacking and I want to tell you about a couple of objects that I'm actually taking with me to Husavik tomorrow to become part of the Eurovision exhibition. So both objects relate to the 70s, actually. So one of them is a 1976 version of Save Your Kisses For Me. Obviously, that's the biggest selling winner of all time, so they're not that rare, but it just helps to tell that story and is a very cool-looking object in itself, actually. The other one is a poster that I got from Lisbon, and it's something that is sold every year in Portugal to commemorate the carnation revolution which again probably people who are listening will know this but um the one of the signals for that revolution was the broadcast of the portuguese song at the eurovision song contest in 1974 so that is something that's still celebrated today in portugal on the 25th of april and so we have um a, a poster uh, relating to that which is you know it's a great example of, you know, there have been lots of occasions where Eurovision has impacted politics, actually, as well as, of course, the other way around. But I think this is probably the most profound example of that. But yeah, that just kind of speaks to some of the themes that hopefully we'll be discussing in the exhibition, you know, Eurovision in society, Eurovision in politics, and, and how it's, it is about more than, than just the music. It's, um, it's about all the years of history that have, have, have spanned the time that this contest has been, has been going.
So I'm now in Husavik um, and I have been most of the day working on the exhibition space which is still very much under construction. The spaces are all there, um, it's just installing what's got to go in. Um, so today I've mainly been working in the section that is all about the movie, the Fire Saga movie. Uh, we got a shipment from Netflix last week, a crate full of costumes and props, um, so we're just kind of dressing mannequins and uh, putting stuff in now. If you can hear some clanging in the background, it's just because work is very much still in progress. Some of the things I'm looking at at the moment, we've got a, a big table of props, um, including the arm of Demi Lovato, which is quite morbid. Um, we've got some elf knives. We've got the whip that's used by Dan Stevens. Um, and lots of sort of fire saga memorabilia and goodies. Um, in terms of the costumes, we have the uh, dress that she sings Husavik in at the end. We've got the Volcano Man costumes, which are just as mad in real life as they look <laughs> on camera. And also, my favourite one is the, the big sort of giant sequin dress that she wears when she's at the party and doing the song along. So everything is looking amazing. It's so cool to see everything in real life. Work is occasionally interrupted by um, tourists because we have so many people coming that have, you know, heard about Husevik from the film um, and they arrive um, at this bar where the, the, the exhibition is near called the Yaya Ding Dong Bar, of course named after the movie. Um, and they're so desperate to, to see what's going on that we keep on letting them in <laughs> to, uh, to have a little look. So every so often people come in to to get excited about the costumes and it's so nice to sort of hear that people have travelled from all over the world to come to come to Husavik. I'm in the exhibition space with um, a bit of a fan of the film. Her name's Carolyn, she's from Boston. <laughs> Carolyn, am I right in thinking you've come all the way here because of the film? Yes, so my family has um, traveled all the way from the US, from North Carolina and from Boston just to visit Husavik. Wow, and what do you think of what's going on in here? It's amazing, I'm so excited. Um, I'm really grateful that I was able to get a preview of the space and I'm so delighted. I think we're going to have to come back <laughs> just to visit back. the space um, when it's all up and going. It's going to be incredible. What's your favorite um, object that you can see in this room right now? Oh my gosh, there are so many. I think that the elf knife is probably the, just the funniest um, <laughs> and so delightful, but of course all of the costumes are so beautiful and it's just incredible to see them um, in real life. This is the Eurotrip. Rachel Mackay reporting live. Well, not live, but I've just kind of always wanted to say that. Uh, Rachel uh, in Iceland for us there, uh, giving us a bit of a tour of the, the country in Husavik and the exhibition. We'll be back uh, to Rachel a little bit later on for some more. And of course, we'll be chatting to Molly Sandin a little bit later on. But first, Rob, shall we get to our second guest of the day? 
the man with the greatest name in the history of names. Um, names, yes, indeed. Uh, before we do that, a little trivia question for you and the listeners. Population of Husevik. How many? How many people? Oh, I'm going to say 1,439. What you've done there is you've ruined the game by oh, actually, actually going those. going under. Oh, uh, it's yeah. Actually, actually, it's actually bigger than that. But not much bigger, though. Okay. Not much bigger. Just over 2,000 people. Just over 2,000 people. Uh, as of 2018, 2,307, to be precise. One of which is Ollie Orlison, the man with the greatest name in the history of names. <laughs> uh, yeah, fantastic segue, Rob. Ollie Orlison, the man behind the Eurovision exhibition, as you say, is from Husevik, the town which features heavily in the Eurovision film, the story of Fire Saga that was released last year. And he is the man who is responsible for the museum itself. And we were very lucky enough to have a little chat with him. He gave us a little tour on Zoom of what the exhibition looks like right now as the are preparing to open and then he took us into the laundry cupboard for a little bit of a chat and a lovely laundry cupboard it was but i don't want that to take away from the exhibition because as you say we got a little tour and even virtually the museum looks incredible it looks so good it's very nearly ready for its opening in october of which we'll tell you a little bit more about shortly but we started by asking Orly, a man who is also behind the Yaya Ding Dong bar in Husevik, I should add, why him and why now? Well, Husevik is a tiny town, but uh, I don't know if you know, but Eurovision, I'm, I'm not sure Eurovision is as big in any country as it is in Iceland. We have a viewership of uh, around 99% of the population. Everyone watches Eurovision. Uh, the first few years that Eurovision aired in Iceland, the, the streets were empty. There was no one out and about uh, when it was going on. And we've always had great love for the contest. And uh, so, of course, we in Iceland were very happy when uh, we got the news that uh, Will Ferrell had decided that Iceland would be the setting for his uh, Eurovision movie. Of course, we didn't know what it would be like. And then, of course, for us in this tiny town, when we learned that uh, it would take place in Husavik, which is a town of 2000. 300 people. This was uh, unbelievable. And uh, here in Husavik, there are many dedicated Eurovision fans. And uh, after the film came out, we we liked the film. It uh, it makes fun of us and it makes fun of Eurovision, but in a nice way. It's a tribute to both Husavik and Eurovision. And uh, we realized that a lot of people who love Eurovision uh, might want to travel up to Husavik uh, in the next two or three years. So. Uh, we were thinking, how can we uh, make something that makes their trip more interesting, more rewarding to come here? Of course, when people come, they can see all the houses and all the places where the scenes were shot. But uh, we felt we might add more to this experience. So we started exploring the option of uh, doing uh, a temporary exhibition for the next two and a half years about the song contest and about the film. And uh, it's been a project that we've been working on for now a little over a year. And it's all coming together now. We're, we're opening for, uh, we're having a small opening in, in October. Then we'll work more in the winter and then we'll have a big opening in, in March. Now, if you'd asked somebody, Orly, about, I don't know, two years ago, where should we build a Eurovision museum? I don't think anybody would have said Husevik, this tiny town in Iceland. But since the film came out, like you say, so many more people are interested in the country, in visiting Iceland. Now, Husevik just seems like the perfect place for this, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And uh, we saw it already last year. We had, uh, of course, because of COVID, we had limited tourism. 
but uh, we had some and people were coming here because of Eurovision. They were coming because of this film. And what, what we've seen this summer, uh, because we, of course, we are still making the museum, but all the time we are, people are knocking on our doors or even just coming in and they're saying like, uh, can we see what you're working on? And this, these people are Americans. And that's actually what surprised me. Uh, I think uh, the, the film has opened up the world of Eurovision to a whole new audience. And that's uh, people in the States who uh, found out about the contest through the film, through Netflix. And uh, I guess this, this uh, I would say, I mean, I know the film with the crazy elves and everything is a bit, uh, it's a bit crazy, but I think Eurovision itself is even crazier than it's depicted in the film. And that's what we love about it. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. We can't disagree with you at all. Now, tell us about the planning for all of this, because of course, as you've said, the film of course came out in 2020. The museum is gonna have a small opening in October. The big opening is March, 2022. But between the film coming out and now, there has been so much planning going into this. So just give us a little insight into that. Well, uh, a lot of work went into just deciding what to have on display. And uh, we ended up uh, with a concept of three exhibits. So the first exhibit is about Iceland's uh, qualifier, Söngva Kjæpnin. And uh, of course, uh, the Eurovision is so big in Iceland and people also love the, uh, the pre-contest that we have here every year. So uh, we got all of the famous dresses from Iceland's con uh, contestants and uh, we're putting them up right now. Then the second exhibition is about the history of the Eurovision Song Contest. Uh, and the third one, of course, is about the film. So it's three part exhibits and uh, we'll be opening two of them. Uh, well, two of them are, are more or less ready. And, and we have the opening for the first one uh, in a few days. And uh, then we'll work on the big ex exhibit during the winter. But guests who come to Husavik, they can, of course, go and see uh, what we're working on. And it's been enjoyable uh, for all these months to have all these people coming in. Uh, and some of them have even made suggestions uh, about something that we have decided to, to follow. So we've had a lot of input through the process and uh, we, we didn't expect this to be like this. We, uh, we sort of expected that we would just finish this project and then we would open. But uh, the enthusiasm is so great that uh, there's no way for us when, we, when someone knocks on the door and we just see it in their eyes, they're so excited about this whole thing. I mean, of course we let them in. So it's been very much uh, a rewarding process to make this. And uh, we've had great help from the EBU and, uh, and from Netflix, of course, uh, on this project. And uh, Netflix is uh, generously lending us all of the props from the film. So it's made this uh, exhibition about the film possible. Uh, and uh, we are just so thankful for uh, the opportunity. I mean, this is a tiny town. And as you say, I mean, it's, it's an unlikely setting for an exhibition about the song contest, but uh, through this film and through the passion of the people in this town, it's become a reality. Oli, you mentioned there, you know, the support you've had from Netflix and the EBU, especially to get the exhibit for the from the stuff from the uh, from the film from, from the movie into the museum. How difficult, or or even how easy has it been to get all of the other items for the other part of the exhibit? Has it been a difficult task? It's been rather easy to get uh, things from Icelandic contestants. Uh, our biggest challenge, uh, our biggest challenge now, is getting uh, great items for the big room, which is about the Eurovision Song Contest itself. And uh, we're still working. We have been talking with a lot of uh, contestants from from different countries, uh, and we're still working on that. So, I mean, I guess your audience has some connections. Uh, please help us get big items for that room because we have so great. I mean, we have all these great items for the Icelandic room. 
We have all these great items from the film, but we're still we're still working on, on the third room. And uh, as I say, I mean, we're opening that in Mars. So if your listeners have some connections, please uh, connect us. Yes, please. If you are listening and you've got anything that you think would be deserving of the great room in the, uh, at the exhibition, please get in touch. I'm sure Ollie would love to hear about it. Um, Ollie, can you give us a flavour of some of your perhaps favourite items? I know you don't want to give everything away, but can you give us a little idea of some of the favourite items that are going to be in the exhibition for, for visitors to see? I, uh, I absolutely love uh, the, 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 um, the costumes that uh, the three contestants for Iceland's first entry wore. They are uh, from 1986 and they have all these triangular shapes. They are, are silver in color and they are just so stunning. And uh, when the lighting is, is done, they'll be even more uh, beautiful on the stage. And I also love it because uh, Icelanders really believed when we entered the first time that we were going to win. And uh, there was, it's funny because the film sort of touches upon the same subject. Uh, if you look at the uh, newspaper articles from this time uh, in 86, when we were competing for the first time, a lot of people were worried. How can we host the contest next year? Of course we didn't. We, <laughs> we had 16th place, uh, which was uh, far from winning. But uh, this was a genuine concern with a lot of people. How are we going to host this contest? And then this sort of becomes the premise of the film. Uh, and one of the things that people wrote about after we uh, had competed and after it was clear that we would get 16th place, uh, people started saying, oh, they had such ridiculous costumes, but I love them. And they are, I think they are my favorites. Now from the fire saga room, I'm <laughs> very much, uh, I, I would have to say my favorite is uh, Demi Lovato's arm and uh, the detail that went into making it. So uh, uh, even though it, it's only on the screen for about one or two seconds, uh, they put a lot of effort into making it look as real as possible. And it's such a surprising item to see in there with all the other things. So it really sticks out and I, I like it. And Oli, what are your what are your hopes for the museum? Because everything you've told us sounds incredibly exciting. Like it's a must go to for any Eurovision fan by the sounds of it. What are your hopes? You know, you said already that you've had people from America who have already been to Husevik and the museum's not even open yet. Mm -hmm. my, my hope is that uh, people who come here uh, because of the film and because of their love for Eurovision uh, leave with a big, big smile on their face. I mean, and that's what we're already seeing. People are, are uh, Eurovision brings such joy. And uh, in a time like we've been going through for the past one and a half years, it's, uh, it's so important. And uh, I remember how incredibly disappointed I was uh, when the contest was canceled. Of course, it was inevitable last year. Uh, because I felt that that year we really needed Eurovision and, and the film sort of made up for that in a way. So uh, I think it's important to bring joy and that's what I hope we can do with this exhibition. Ollie Ollison there, clearly a man with a lovely kind heart chatting all about the Eurovision Museum that is set to open uh, partially in October which is next month. And then the whole thing is open to the public as well in March next year. Very exciting as well that part of that museum is going to be a history of Eurovision. And they're after submissions. So if you've got any ideas or if you've got something lying around that happened to be on stage for Turkey in 1994, were they even there then? Maybe they were. If, if, uh, if you happen to have anything, they are taking submissions. So you can get in touch with them on Twitter at Eurohusevic, or you can get in touch with us. We're on Twitter at Eurotrip Podcast or hello at Eurotrippodcast.com on the email, and we'll gladly pass that on for you. 
It's a shame you've not still got that box of Eurovision memorabilia, because that would have been perfect. Honestly, I think Orly is desperate for a three-pack of Brendan Murray stickers. Do we think that actually Orly is Miles in Cologne? (laughs) I've never seen the two in the same room. Did he actually win our Eurovision sweepstake back in May, and he's used that knockoff memorabilia that's a knockoff it wasn't knockoff at all that rubbish memorabilia to fill the museum gosh i hope not it makes it sound like you i don't know found a box that had fallen out the back of a van <laughs> it was all legit eurovision memorabilia but unfortunately anyway it's all by the by because james doesn't have it anymore so that can't go in the museum and also what we should say is the museum itself is going to be a lot more exciting than my <laughs> rubbish box of eurovision memorabilia it has many more exciting things than stickers of brendan murray and a signed autograph card of time bells from 2017 Let's do it that way. <laughs> the exhibition significantly better than that as you've already heard <laughs> and as you will hear more of shortly but yeah get your submissions in and very exciting that the museum opens in October then the big opening in March yeah it's just around the corner the world will finally have a Eurovision museum which is incredibly exciting so shall we find out a little bit more about it it is starting to head back to Iceland our tour guide of course is the brilliant Rachel Mackay and we last heard from her talking to an American who travelled all the way to Iceland just to see the museum as it was being prepared. Let's find out what else she got up to. Can you hear them calling? Oh, they're calling out tonight. So it's day two in Husvik. Um, this morning I have mainly been trying to construct a replica helmet similar to what Will Farrell wears when he's doing the Volcano Man thing. Uh, in the film. Um, we, the Netflix couldn't find the original helmet. Um, I think Will Ferrell probably has it. <laughs> so we have a, like a, a normal kind of helmet and I'm trying to make wings out of cardboard that we can spray paint <laughs> to go with the rest of the costume. So that's been a fairly unique way to spend the day. And then now I'm just gonna head off for some whale watching. So I've been told there's two things that I have to do whilst I'm in Husavik that are not Eurovision related. One is whale watching, another one is going to the the geothermically heated baths. So I'm going to do both of those things today. So I'm not entirely sure how this is going to be picked up. on the mic but um, I'm on the boat and we're speeding back to Husevik after an incredible three hours out in the ocean where we saw porpoises and two humpback whales um, coming up and diving down it's absolutely incredible um, this has just got to be one of the coolest places I've ever been the landscape is incredible you know it there's just so many amazing things to see around every corner. You come just a little bit out of um, into the bay, away from the land, and there's just porpoises and whales frolicking. It's insane. It's not quite how they portray it in the film, <laughs> like you know, the whales jumping up from the harbour, but um, but it's close enough. And this is a country where 99% of the population watch Eurovision every year. Eurovision is the most popular TV show in this country. So they must be doing something right. The Icelanders are doing something right, I tell you. They've got the way of life 
time. So after spending yesterday afternoon wheel watching and bathing in the geothermic baths it really was time to get down to some work and so I have finished the um, Fire Saga helmet today and we have um, spent the day in Akureyri which is just about an hour away from Husavik. Uh, we had to pick up some paint for the exhibition and um, some other bits and pieces, some lights. Um, in fact the lighting place that we went to Orly, who's my host, was telling me that he went in there to um, ask them just to do the lighting for the performance of Husevik for the Oscars, which you might have seen as part of that ceremony. It was a, a live performance from Husevik with Molly Sandin singing, beautifully lit, I should say, um, down in the harbour at Husevik. If you haven't seen that, yeah, look it up on YouTube because it's amazing. Um, and apparently the this small lighting shop in Akureyri were like quite dumbfounded by the suggestion that they were going to light the Oscars in a couple of weeks um, but they really came through and they're going to come through for this exhibition as well um, so yeah we've been doing some errands in Akureyri and then whilst we were there Arle suggested that we go and meet, meet uh, a lady called Hadla and Hadla is really involved in the Eurovision fan club in Iceland and that's going to be such a, an important group for us, I guess, when, when the first two rooms open. So the plan with the exhibition is to open the first two rooms, which are all about Iceland in the Eurovision Song Contest and also the Fire Saga room. The, the third room, which is going to be the biggest room, um, is going to be about the Eurovision Song Contest. And that's the one that's probably going to take a little bit more time to finish off. But there are so many people coming to Husavik who really want to see something about Eurovision uh, just because of that, the film, and I suppose because of um, how well Iceland have done recently, that it felt really important to get those two rooms open as soon as possible. So we wanted to grab some supplies from, from that, and I also really wanted to hear how, um, what opening those rooms would mean um, for the, the big Eurovision fans in Iceland. my last day in Husavik actually and today we're working in the section uh, that is all about Iceland in the Eurovision Song Contest and there's some amazing objects here that um, we've been able to get from both the performers and Ruv, the um, Icelandic broadcaster. So we have, um, the <laughs> these are two, right in front of me now are two jackets, um, one of them is kind of turquoise and the other one is purple along with a purple headscarf. Um, so from that you might be able to guess that it's the song Nina um, by Stefan and Ify. Uh They performed in the 1991 uh, song contest. I think they didn't do that well, but my hosts tell me that all Icelandic children know the words to this song. So a very popular one uh, here in Iceland. And then and I do recognise the one right beside it, which is a really amazing blue dress. Um, with kind of ruffles on the skirt and this was worn by Johanna singing Is It True which was 2009 and she came second so 
Um, that's an amazing object to get hold of and apparently something that she actually owns so she's been very kind to lend it to us for the exhibition. On the other wall we have um, a very <laughs> violent looking piece of equipment. It's sort of, how to describe it? It's like a sort of long mace with chains and buckles and it is very recognisable as being part of the act um, Hatari in 2019 which, if you remember, was quite a heavy death metal sort of thing. Um, there was a guy on top of this like round cage with holding this kind of mace, just sort of thrashing it about. So it looks extremely violent and like it could do some real damage, actually. Uh, and then we also have one of the very recognisable green jumpers from Dati Freer, uh, as well as um, one of the instruments that they made for, for use on the stage. And I hear that we're going to get a lot more stuff from them as well, so that's going to be really exciting. So, yeah, it's fun to be working surrounded by all these amazing objects. Um, and I'm looking forward to my last day here. You say you really know me You're not afraid to show me What is in your eyes so my time in Iceland has come to an end, unfortunately, and I'm so sad to leave, but at the same time, very happy that we've made a lot of progress with those two rooms, the Fire Saga room and the Iceland room. And uh, as Orly said to me the other day, I think I can take them home now. I've really learned a lot from the experience. You know, there's, um, I've been working in the museum sector in the UK for a long time. And, you know, sometimes we can invest a lot in exhibitions and we can, put so much work into things and you know everything has done to the highest possible standard in, in, in some of the organizations that I, that I worked for but um, this is something that has been quite spontaneous I guess has come about because of this film um, you know there isn't a massive budget behind it um, but there is a lot of passion and there is most importantly I think this connection to the place you know the people of Husevik have really embraced this film and there's not one person that I met who thinks it was a bad thing or you know doesn't like it you know it's a real um it's a real connection and a real passion for them and when visitors come in especially when we let them have a little sneak peek into the exhibition they really feel part of it and that is something that you know I'm really going to take back with me that kind of making few people feel like they're part of a community is really special and I think it's going to be really special when it's finished. Uh, I'm going to continue to be involved um, working on the uh, text and the, the display for that big third room, which is the final thing that I want to say, really, which is that that is going to be such a cool space. There's going to be performances. There's going to be Eurovision karaoke. Um, and it's going to be a really lively uh, space, as well as a, a display of you know Eurovision and Eurovision history and, and all those things that are important to Eurovision. One of the things that we really wanted to be part of that room is something to do with the fans. And so what we're asking for is photographs and memories um, of, of your Eurovision. So if you're listening to this and you have a photograph of you celebrating Eurovision at home or actually going to Eurovision or supporting your local Eurovision artists, anything like that, then that would be something that would be a great thing for us to be able to display not just on site but online so people who can't make it to Husevik can still join in with understanding what is so special about Eurovision and why we all love it so much. I'm going to leave it there. I've had an amazing week. I recommend Husevik 
to you all for your holidays next year and I'll definitely be going back so I hope to see you there soon. Rachel Mackay, our very own tour guide, giving us a brilliant recommendation that I will certainly be taking up at the earliest convenience, heading over to Husavik for a holiday. I probably would have done it anyway, just because of how lovely it looked in the film. With the museum there as well, it's a no-brainer. Now, we've heard from brilliant people on the podcast. We've just heard from Rachel. We've already heard from Orly Orlison, the man behind the Eurovision Museum. But... There is one person who is left to join us on this ship we call the Eurotrip. And it is somebody who Eurovision fans will know very, very well. Because James, even though she's never done Eurovision, she's a Eurovision fan favourite. It's Molly Sandin. It certainly is. Another big name on the Eurotrip. We know, you know how much we love to bring you big guests here on the podcast you just have to scroll through your podcast feed and you'll see some amazing names but molly sandon what a great name to get on the euro trip this week she if you don't know who she is i will give you a brief reminder she represented sweden at junior eurovision back in 2006 has taken part in melody festival and on three occasions and most notably and the reason why she's on the podcast this week she provided the vocals for Rachel McAdams' character Sigrid in the film itself. Uh, so she was responsible for the songs such as Double Trouble and, of course, Husevik. Now, I remember finding out uh, that she was going to be in the film and all of the Eurovision fans that I follow on Twitter were just going into absolute overdrive. It was a total meltdown because people loved the fact. So to begin with, I wanted to find out how Molly found out that she was going to be involved in the film. I was actually on a vacation in LA. I I li- I used to live there a couple of years ago and I tried to, you know, start a career over there, but it was just too shallow and, and hard. And I I went back home and, and decided to sing in Swedish. So I totally forgot about that. But then I was there for vacation uh, about two years ago, just before COVID, kind of. And um I got a call from my producer friend who was like, oh, can you please do me a favor and put down some vocals for this project I'm working on? And, and I was like, well, yeah, you, 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 have, to, you have to buy me dinner then, like <laughs> if I'm going to do this. So I did. I went to the studio and then he told me about the movie and about the project. And, and I just felt like because I started my career in junior vision song contest when I was 14. And when he told me about the secret from the movie, it, it just felt so unreal and so exciting to, I mean, even be a small, small part of it at that time, because I didn't know that, that they were going to use my voice uh, as the final, final soundtrack. So I was just happy to be a part of it. And then right after I 
went out of the studio, um, I started getting all these emails and, and people from, from the movie contacting me and like, we love your voice, we need you. And, and it was just surreal. Um, and I didn't believe it until I actually saw the movie. So, so when you went to the studio to record those vocals for the first time, mm-hmm. you didn't know that you were actually going to be featured in the film. You just thought you were just helping no. out a little bit. Yeah, I thought I was just going to do the demos for, for someone to listen to. And then they were going to take in a, an American singer or whatever. So, no, I didn't know. I, I, no, I just went there and I was hungover and my voice was sore. And, but then when they played the songs, I was so amazed by the songs because I... I mean, I'm a Eurovision fan and, and those songs were really um, fun to sing, challenging and, and dramatic and everything. So I loved it. I mentioned before about how when I found out, at least it was because so mm-hmm. many other Eurovision fans were going crazy. And naturally, they knew about you because of junior Eurovision, but also because of yeah. Melody Festival as well. So that's where it really began for you as well, wasn't it? Yeah, I wrote my first song for the junior Eurovision Song Contest. And I even had that magical note in my song that Sigrid has in Husavik. Like, I one time when I was practicing in my basement, I was doing warm ups with my voice, and I, I, um, I sang a Celine Dion song, I think, where where it has a really high pitched note. And I, the first time I really nailed it, I saw like golden glitter coming from the roof, and I thought, whoa, okay, this is my magic. I have to use this. So I wrote a song and I used the same note, the same length and everything, put it in my song and I won. And I thought, well, this is really magic. But then a few years later, when I was at the gym, the same golden glitter appeared again. And I realized it was just lack of oxygen. So it was (laughs) it wasn't magical. But for me, it was for a couple of years and I believed in it so much. But now I'm starting to think that it maybe it was magic again, because I mean, the movie, in the movie, it's magic, so. We've got to believe then, haven't we? Of course it was magic. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, of for course. Sure. Of course. <laughs> Back in that studio for the <laughs> first time, when they were sort of pitching you these songs or, you know, playing you the melodies or, or whatever it was, which of the songs was it that you heard first? Because we all know just how big mm. Husevik got, and we'll chat a bit more yeah. about Husevik shortly. But you were featured on so many of the other songs. So which one was it yeah. you heard first? It was actually Double Trouble. That was the first one I recorded. So, but the second song I think was Husavik. And then I actually said to myself when I heard it, this is like an Oscar winning song. It's so huge. And that's, like I said, I didn't even know that I was gonna be the, the singer in, in the end. So I just, I just love the songs from the first listen through. And it, I love them. I mean, they're humoristic, they're funny. The, the lyrics are funny, but the, the songs are really good well-written songs. Did you have an idea then about 
about just how big, I guess, the film would go on to be? Because how much did you know about the film then? Or, or did you find out, you know, more information before a lot of the viewers did? Or were you kept in the dark about the storyline? I heard new stuff every time I, I came to the studio to record something new and to change uh, some lines and, and so, but I was a little bit scared that they were gonna do, like make a parody, parody of uh, Eurovision. I, I was scared they were gonna just show one side of it and, and not, I mean, the good parts, like the parts that we love. So I was I was afraid in the beginning, what, what is this kind of movie, you know? What, what kind of whole vibe? will it have um but i was really when i when i heard it and when i when i heard the story um as it went on i just felt like and when i saw the movie i, I just loved it every every part of it now husevik we've mentioned it a couple of times that is the big song that is how mm. i guess the film really had an impact on so many other people even I, before we chatted uh, today i was listening to it and it still gives me goosebumps mm. on my arms just listening to mm. it um mm. And then, of course, you mentioned before, it felt like an Oscar song and it did get that nomination. You're chuckling away yeah. there because it just seems crazy, doesn't it, that it got that nomination. Yeah. Do you remember finding out for the first time? Yeah, I was standing at a photo shoot, actually. Um, and you could see in the pictures because my my press manager was just yelling out like, the song is Oscar nominated. And I'm like, what? So they actually captured my what in the actual footage, like in the in the pictures. So I was really, I was just screaming uh, like a child, like felt like I won something already because it's so surreal and, and huge. that something you could even dream about when you're growing up because for singers I guess you have you know so many big dreams and ambitions mm. but I guess being nominated for an Oscar isn't necessarily on the radar is it? No no especially not a girl from Sweden I mean Melody Melody Festival in Eurovision has always been a dream because it's been closer but Oscars feels so far away you know I we we almost never watched the Oscars in Sweden at all but the Eurovision is, is around you like we, we we celebrate it together and it's you know it's been there always um so no I could never I couldn't dream that big then there was the moment of course where you performed the song Husavik in Husavik in Iceland was that the first <laughs> yeah. time you ever traveled to Iceland and Husavik um it was my first time in Husavik but not in Iceland actually uh, I was in Iceland a couple of years ago and I fell in love with the country. It's it's insanely beautiful. Everything looks like a movie scene. Everywhere you look, it's just so dramatic landscape and it's beautiful. Uh, but it was the first time for me in Husavik and, and it was so sweet. It was so cute. Just like in the movie where... I mean, not just like in the movie, but almost like in the movie where everybody knew each other and it was such a warm feeling just 
being there and they were so happy and genuine and humble and everybody helped with this performance like somehow it felt like half of Iceland was involved with with the making of the flags and the painting of the street and the children's choir the the police chef stood in front of the children's choir and like made a dance with them and then the mayor of the city was there and like go Molly you know it was it was just so so sweet and it still seems crazy to this day doesn't it that Husavik this tiny town is has become mm. such a, a you know such a, a big place in so many people's hearts now and something mm. so exciting for for Eurovision fans and I guess so many people in Sweden as well now with so many Eurovision fans there with the new museum that is is set to open there that has just got to be that's got to be on everybody's bucket list surely yeah that's gonna be amazing to to watch uh, to go to the museum hopefully I mean hopefully I'll I'll be in it somehow. They asked me how I could do something with the Husavik song and and I don't know yet, but hopefully we'll do something something fun. Oh, I'm sure something can be arranged. Perhaps even the dress you wore uh, during the yeah. the performance. That would be such a yeah. great piece to have in the museum uh, with all of the other memorabilia from the from the film and Eurovision history. That would take pride mm-hmm. of place, I would say, in that museum, don't you agree? Yeah. I agree. We have to we have to arrange that. Let's make I'll go there with the dress. I'm gonna go and bring the dress. (laughs) (laughs) Now that you have well, you'd already really made a name for yourself before the film, but now you've got such a a worldwide acclaim now because of the film. It just seems fitting that you should enter Melfest again. But then I looked online and I saw that you seem to be going on tour in February and March next year. So I just don't think it's gonna happen, is it next year? No. No, I mean, if I could go straight to Eurovision, I would do that. But we have this, you know, the Swedish version of it and the Melody Festival and, and, and um, I, you know, it's for me, it's scary to compete, uh, to compete with music. I've done it so many times and every time it's just, it's so scary. And yeah, like you said, I'm doing this big um, arena tour in, in uh, early next year. So I'll be busy with that. But I'm definitely going to watch uh, the shows. I always do. I love it. And um, you'll never know. Maybe I'll I'll be in, in it somehow anyways. But I, I'm not, I don't want to compete. Uh, how, about the, uh, how about the Icelandic version now that you've got a bit of uh, Icelandic singing under your belt? Maybe you should give that yeah. one a go instead. <laughs> maybe, maybe I should go to Iceland. Yeah, yeah. Compete from there. <laughs> How exciting is it for you to be going back on tour again next year as well? Because you've had the album out in 2021 earlier this year, and we know yeah. what it's been like for musicians not being able to get out there and see the fans on the road. You must be so excited for next year. I'm so excited. I can't wait. It's, it's, I'm probably going to explode. Like, I feel I have so much inside. And, and now we're actually right now in the making of, of the whole. I mean, how it's gonna look, and and I can't sleep. I'm I'm like, I'm so excited. I hope it it will I will calm down a little bit. So because I need some rest, I can't stay up until February. It's, but I'm really looking forward to it. It's uh, it's a dream come true to to be able to make a show, do a show where I can fit all my all the versions of me, like all the. I mean, my my career has been a, a little bit back and forth, trying different uh, genres and styles, and and it's 
it feels so um, so nice to be able to put it all together in, in this, this show. And me, Marianne, can be there, my alter ego. So I'm super, super excited. And what else is on the radar for you over the next few months or, or so? Is it just full preparation for the tour? What else can fans look forward to from you? I'm releasing a song uh, next year, next week. And I'm also going, I'm going to America as soon as they open up, like to LA for a short period of time, um, just to write some, write some new songs and we'll see what happens. Um, and I'm also going to watch a lot of shows and, and just get inspired. Amazing stuff. Molly, thank you so much for your time chatting all about that. Uh, Really appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining us. Of course. Thank you so much. This is the Euro Trip. So brilliant to have Molly Sandon on the podcast talking, of course, all about her role off screen on Eurovision The Story of Fire Saga. We have got her to thank, or rather her voice to thank, for some incredible songs. And it was so brilliant hearing her tell the story of performing at the Oscars, although not at the Oscars, in the fishing port in Husavik, which was just ridiculous because I bet Husavik never thought that they would get that much screen time, let alone during the Oscars ceremony itself. Just mind-blowing. So brilliant to have Molly on. And just brilliant to tell you all about the very first Eurovision Museum. It's backed by the European Broadcasting Union, It's going to be incredible. And thank you so much to all of the guests who have joined us for helping us tell the story of what people can look forward to. Yeah, not only Molly Sandon, but of course we heard from Rachel, who was our very own personal tour guide around the country and around Husavik. And then Ollie as well, who, as we know now, is the man responsible for the whole thing. So hopefully you're now in the mood to head to Husavik when the museum opens. All of the details that you need to know, of course, the museum, as James said, opens next month, which is very exciting. And then the big opening, of course, is happening in March next year. So get yourself out there, get your tickets to Husevik and get yourself to the museum when it opens. Stay across all social media, of course, stay across our social media at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram and stay across the museum socials as well. They are at Eurohusevik on Twitter. They'll have all sorts of info and announcements on there. And we mentioned that you can play a role in that big Eurovision exhibition where they want you to take part. Well, if you want to send a submission, any photos for that of you at a Eurovision or any Eurovision memories that you might have, the email address to send those photos to is eurovision at husevik.com. That's eurovision at husevik.com. Yep, so it couldn't be any easier to get involved, whether you've got something lying around at home or you know someone who knows someone who's got something. Rob's just given you all the details there, so do get in touch if you can help that museum out in any way at all. And we will be back next week, building up to 2022. We don't know where it's going to be yet at the time we're recording this, but we've got plenty of building up to do. We'll be talking national final season, Melfest, Junior Eurovision, all that and more still to come. So we've got that all covered. The Eurotrip is going to be your place to be to keep across everything Eurovision. We'll be back again next week for weekly episodes starting again next Wednesday. But in the meantime, don't forget to subscribe, leave us a review and rate us five stars. From me, James, it's goodbye. And from me, Rob, it's goodbye.
Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com <laughs>